WSBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply the portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I just want you to say that we can never dogmatically state someone is saved and I know it because look at their outward behavior. And someone's lost, and I know it, look at their outward behavior. No, you don't know that. And there are other examples in the Bible of people who had serious moral flaws, and yet the Bible teaches that they were true believers. In fact, nearly every hero of the faith mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 had done something that, in our human reasoning, we would think demonstrated that they were not believers. Just this week, I was in a conversation with a friend, and We were discussing the lack of commitment to Christ that we so often see in the people of our church. We agreed that it was very sad to only have four men at our prayer meeting out of a dozen or so that we were sure could have been there. But we also agreed that it was not up to us to determine if anyone else's claims of salvation are genuine. I'm glad I don't have that kind of responsibility. I'll leave those decisions to the Lord, who knows every person's heart with perfect knowledge and understanding. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve begins another three-part message in this series of lessons about the security of the believer titled Safety for the Sheep. Today and for the following two days, we'll be considering how to biblically defend the doctrine of eternal security. Pastor Steve delivered these messages in 1982, back in the days of cassette tape recording, and we have spent an unusual amount of time and effort in making these old tapes sound as clear as possible. Why didn't we just pick a newer series? Well, we think it's important to know that when God makes a promise of eternal life, He keeps that promise. And this collection of sermons makes that very clear. We learn a lot from experience, don't we? But how much of what we learn from our personal experience is really true? Do we let our lives help us understand the Bible, or do we let the Bible help us understand our lives? Here's Pastor Steve to share why we need to come to Scripture without preconceived notions. For the last few weeks, we've been studying the doctrine of eternal security, or the security of our salvation. How secure are we? Are we secure at all? And first of all, we looked at the debate over eternal security, what the debate is all about. Then next we looked at the dangers of not believing in eternal security, and there are a number of dangers which we won't go into now. You can get the cassette tape that dealt with that. This morning we want to approach the subject from the perspective of the defense of eternal security. How do we defend this doctrine? I realize we have been indirectly defending it. Everything we say about it really is is a defense of that doctrine in in one way, but more or less that has been indirect. But starting today, we want to examine some Bible truths that directly defend the doctrine of eternal security. The doctrine that says it is impossible for a true believer to fall away or to lose his salvation. First of all, we need to establish the fact that the only way to defend this doctrine is to let the Bible speak for itself. And that's a very important point to make. We must let the Bible speak for itself. Your experience, my experience, really is not the determining factor as to whether salvation is forever or not. 
human observation, human reasoning, doesn't determine what we believe or don't believe. That is not the issue. The issue is what does God say about that? And let me, let me explain a little bit more because when you speak to people who don't believe in eternal security, oftentimes they appeal to not what the Bible says, though sometimes they do, but much of the appeal is to experience. For instance, from people who believe you can lose your salvation, you hear such statements like, like these. I know you can lose your salvation because I know someone who was once saved and now isn't saved. I know someone who once embraced the faith. In fact, I know someone who, who preached the faith. He was a pastor and now he rejects it. He doesn't believe in the faith. Now that proves that you can lose your salvation. Or you hear something, uh, statements like this. Look at the things so-and-so are doing. They can't possibly still be a Christian and do that. Or you'll hear a statement such as this. I can't believe that someone would commit murder and God would let them into heaven. I don't care what they, what they say they believe. I, I can't accept it that they could murder or do atrocious things and that they claim to know Christ and they can still go to heaven. Now, oftentimes you hear statements like this or statements similar to this. And they're used to try to prove that there are living examples of which they know some, some people, living examples, who have had salvation and then it's obvious by observation that they have lost it. And if there are living examples, then the Bible must teach that salvation can be lost. And so they search the scriptures to try to prove their experience or the experience of others. Very dangerous to do. How do we respond to this type of attitude or these type statements? First of all, we respond this way. It is always wrong, always wrong to make authoritative statements that declare that someone was once saved and is now lost because only God knows who's saved and who isn't. The Lord knoweth them that are his. We don't. You see, we look on the outward conduct. We look on the outside, but only God looks on the heart. And all that men can go by is outward observation. And that is very, uh, very sketchy. That is not something you can be dogmatic about because appearances can deceive. You and I know only one person that we can be certain of is saved, and that's us. 1 John 5.13 says, These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, not that you stand in judgment upon others. And when we begin to make judgments like that, we are really saying that we know as much as God does, which is wrong. We don't. We open ourselves up to serious error. We cannot dogmatically determine the salvation of anybody else, regardless of their profession. For instance, last week we studied about Judas, didn't we? And we saw that by outward appearances, Judas, or, or let, me, let me just retrace that. We said that, that we determined from the Bible that Judas Iscariot was never saved. He fell away not from salvation. He fell away from the uh, apostolic office, from his ministry. He never was saved. And we, we really proved that from the Scripture. But by all outward appearance, Judas looked wonderful, didn't he? He really looked like a true believer. In fact, he looked so good that none of the apostles ever suspected that Judas was a fake. 
turn your Bibles and see this, John chapter 13 just goes to show this. John chapter 13, verse 21 and 22. Jesus had told them that there's somebody who's going to betray him. And look how they respond in verse 21. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit. He testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Now, if, if it was obvious that Judas wasn't a believer, then they all would have said, I know who it is. It's that character Judas. No, they didn't know. Verse 22, the disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. John chapter 6, verse 69, Peter gets up and says, we believe that thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, in essence, Peter, speak for yourself. All of you believe that but one. Now, Peter could only make that statement if it looked like Judas was really with them. They couldn't tell the difference between a, a phony and the real thing. And if the disciples, the apostles, couldn't tell the difference, then who are we to think that we can tell the difference? Judas was so trusted by the apostles that they even made him the treasurer. Now, think about that. They thought so much of him, they said, you could handle all the money. He lived with them, he preached with them, he ate with them, he studied under the master with them, but he really wasn't one of them, and they didn't know it. And, and we have to admit, we don't know who's a believer for sure and, and who isn't. Yes, Jesus said by their fruits you know them, but you have to take that in the totality of Scripture. There is no way dogmatically we can be sure of anyone else's salvation but ourselves. For instance, 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from among us because they really were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And God moved them out because that was the only way to tell that they really were not of us. And there are people perhaps in, in our midst right here, and we don't want to be naive about this, for certain there are people who have professed faith in Christ, perhaps they've grown up in, in a Christian church, in a Christian family, but they've never really trusted Christ. And you know, it's really easy to fool Christians. It's really easy to, to fool Christians into thinking that not only to thinking that you're, that you're saved, but it's easy to, think, to fool them into thinking that you're spiritual. All you have to do is say the right words at the right time, smile a lot, uh, carry a good study Bible, a Schofield, a Ryrie, or a Thompson chain reference will do. Be faithful at every church service, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday evening, Wednesday. Not only will they think that you're a Christian, they'll think you're spiritual, and they'll probably offer you a Sunday school class. That's the way it is in evangelical church. It is very easy to smooth talk your way into inner circles in Christian churches. I was just thinking this week about what Jesus said, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. And I don't know how this developed, but maybe that's where the expression came to pull the wool over someone's eyes. I don't know. Makes sense. If you know more about that, let me know after the service. But there are many people who literally pull the wool over people's eyes, and Judas did. So it's wrong, it is really wrong to say that we know who's saved by their outward conduct. We don't. Let me say this. It is equally wrong to say by outward conduct, we know who's not saved. It is equally wrong to say the outward conduct of somebody proves that they're not saved. No, you can't say that. In Genesis 
chapter 19, we will not meet him there, but we run into a character there by the name of Lot, L-O-T. Lot lived in Sodom. I want you to listen to how wicked this man was in his, in his behavior. He lived in Sodom, the very center of wickedness of the world. He was willing to give his virgin daughters to the men of Sodom for sexual abuse. When they came, the, the two angels were at his house, and the homosexuals, the sodomites, wanted to have relations with them. And, and, and Lot says, no, but I'll give you my virgin daughters. What kind of a father is that? He had no spiritual influence over his future son-in-laws because when he told them, the angel said that, that doom is coming. God is going to judge this place. Get out of here. You know what, you know what his son-in-laws thought? They thought he's joking. He's jesting. The only way they would think that he's jesting is if Lot never spoke about spiritual things. It was out of character for him. They weren't used to that. They thought he was kidding. Not only that, he hesitated in obeying God's command to flee the city. He didn't get out as quickly as he should. The end of his life has the tragic story of his two daughters getting him deliberately, getting him drunk so that they could have sexual relations with him in order to continue the family line. That is Lot. You think he was saved? By outward appearance, we would say, this guy is so lost. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. I'm just going to read it, maybe make a comment or so. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he's speaking now of, of false teachers. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who live ungodly thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sexual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. God says that Lot was righteous. But Lot was about uh, as ungodly in his conduct as any believer that I've ever known. In fact, you, you just can't sink a whole lot lower than, than Lot. What's the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that Lot was positionally righteous before God. In his practical behavior, he really missed it. He was like a carnal Christian today who, who has no testimony, but he's saved. Lot was a true believer positionally before God. He was as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that may be shocking to many of you, but positionally, he was as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ. Practically, he blew it. He was as wicked as you could get. I just want you to see that we can never dogmatically state someone is saved and I know it because look at their outward behavior and someone's lost and I know it, look at their outward behavior. No, you don't know that. And there are other examples in the Bible of people who had serious moral flaws and yet the Bible teaches that they were true believers. For instance, Peter cursed and denied Jesus. He actually cursed and denied Jesus. Would any of us think that Peter's not a believer? David committed adultery and really forced the man to be killed. He's a man of blood. Moses lost his temper. And there are others. As you, as you go through the Bible, you run into other characters. Samson committed much wickedness, and yet in Hebrews chapter 11, he's listed as a, as a man of faith. Rahab lied 
She's listed as a woman of faith. Now, God is not commending Rahab's lying, nor is he commending Samson and his wickedness, but he's saying that these really were people of faith. They believed. You see, the point is this, is that you and I don't know who's really saved and who isn't. Now, when I say that, let me explain. I'm not just saying that if, if somebody says to you, I don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ at all, don't say, well, I can't judge whether they're saved or not. I'm talking about people who profess to know him. If somebody says they reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you have every right to say that you're not a believer, and that's not judging. You're just upholding the standard of the word of God. But I'm talking about professing believers. Who would have thought the Corinthians were believers? And yet the Bible says they were sanctified, they were saints, they were awfully wicked in their behavior, but they were believers. We really don't know who's saved and who isn't. We just know of ourselves. So it's wrong for us to say that experience or human observation or, or reasoning teaches that some once had salvation and now they don't. The second thing we want to say, let me go back. First of all, we say it's wrong to make such statements because we don't know those things. But secondly, how do we respond to people who rely on experience and then go to the Bible to prove their point? We respond by telling them that experience never proves anything. You never go to the Bible to interpret your experience. What we're saying is you never have an experience and then you go to the Bible to have the Bible fit your experience, to define it. You go to the Bible to get truth and then you submit that experience to the truth of the Bible. You never say, I have an experience, it must be true, let me get the Bible to prove my experience. No, you go to the Bible first. And you see the truth of the word of God. And then you define your experience by that. Human reasoning, experience, observation proves nothing. They prove nothing. And we must never defend any doctrine based on what we have seen, but only on what God says. So I invite you to get your Bibles open and ready to scan its pages in order to see some of the concepts, we're just going to look at three today of how to defend the doctrine of eternal security. We're going to look at the first two rather quickly and then focus on the last one. First concept we're going to look at is the concept of no condemnation. No condemnation. The Bible teaches that the one who has been saved will never, ever be punished for his sins. That's what Jesus said. They will never perish, never ever perish, they will never be condemned in any way. God will, in other words, God will never pass a guilty sentence upon us. Why? Because when the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he was condemned in our place. Condemnation has already taken place. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Now you may feel condemned, and Satan may whisper in your heart that you are condemned, which he does to all of us, and you may feel guilty, but that's not coming from God. Condemnation is not coming from God. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't sin. That doesn't mean that God isn't reproving you and rebuking you, and you need to confess that as sin, but as far as condemnation, you will never be condemned. It has already taken place. In our place, Christ was condemned. John 5, 24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me 
has eternal life, present possession, has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. You will not come into judgment if you are a true, genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've heard his word, you believe the Father, you've trusted Christ, you're saved, and you'll never be condemned. The Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The penalty for breaking God's law is death. Spiritual, eternal death. And at one point, all humanity stood guilty before a holy God. The judge was awaiting the execution, but before the execution took place, the execution would be the great white throne judgment, where hell and Hades are thrown, or Hades is thrown into the lake of fire. But before the execution took place, the gates of heaven swung open and the Son of God was sent forth by the Father. And he came to this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He was under no condemnation because he had never sinned. He was the sinless Lamb of God. But he gave himself on the cross to pay the death penalty for those of us, which is all of us who were condemned. And that's the gospel. In a nutshell, we were condemned. The gates of heaven swung open. The sinless son of God was sent to earth in our place. He was condemned for us. He who knew no sin paid for our sins and became sin for us. Now there's a very important concept to that. The, 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 the demands of the law have been met. The law required that death would take place. And when Christ was dying on the cross, he wasn't just dying physically. There was a spiritual and eternal aspect to that death. That's why he said, my God, my God. Notice he didn't say my father. I think this is the only time he ever said my God. Because at that point, he was sin for us. He did not have that relationship as son to the father. He was separated from God. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, God would never forsake his own son. But when his son became sin for us and God cannot have fellowship with sin, God, so to speak, turned his back upon his son. He who had face-to-face -face fellowship with the son for all eternity, for that moment in time and in history, turned away and he forsook his own son. He was no longer face-to-face, -face, which is what the Bible means, that in the beginning he was with God. He turned away from his son, and in that moment, the son of God died spiritually separated from God, eternally separated from God. The debt was paid. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. The demands of the law have been met. God's holy demands have been met in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus met those demands of the law by taking my sins upon himself and dying in my place. When I placed my trust in that, rather than my own efforts to satisfy God, I became dead to the law, according to Romans 7.4. The death sentence had already been carried out, and Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says that God has not destined us for wrath. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will develop those thoughts more fully. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These Bible classes of the year are one of several vital ministries at Lakeside. 
You can find out more at www.lakesidechapel.com. The address, if you'd like to stop by some Sunday, is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Find out more about Verse by Verse at our website, www.versebyverseradio.org. You'll find information about our beliefs, how you can give if the Lord is leading you that way, and an extensive list of audio files that you can stream or download for free, including today's broadcast. And if you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind, here's an offer for you. If you want a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com. This is Jerry Peterson. What if you were accused of something that demanded a horrific penalty, a fate worse than you could imagine? And to make matters worse, what if you have no defense because you are obviously guilty? And what if the judge was famous for never letting anyone off the hook? What kind of a lawyer would you want to represent you? I don't know about you, but I'd want a really good one. And well, guess what? We are all in that situation and will someday stand before that judge. Join us. 